frozen tea after hours. Uh, I'm your host, as always, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Miss Kim Lowe. Hello. Tonight, we're going to be looking at uh, Kim's pick and the film that she's probably most concerned about me talking about, and that's 2018's teen romantic comedy, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, uh, directed by Susan Johnson, so keeping in tune with our female director's season, and written by Sophia Alphalas. Uh, based on the book of the same name as um, here we get to uh, meet to high school junior Lara Jean Covey who sets out with the ambitious goal of kissing 50 boys over the course of an eventful summer um, <laughs> no not really um, no this <laughs> that would have been an interesting movie um, no the uh, film itself it follows high school junior Lara Jean Covey who uh, basically has had five great loves over the course of her life but never been able to tell these boys exactly what she thought about them wrote them instead love letters that she never intended to send out however as she gets uh, older and her sister moves off to college and had these letters mysteriously disappear and end up being delivered to the boys that she wrote about so what follows is a very unique situation in goes to when uh, one of the boys uh, that she written to um, sees a unique opportunity for them to fake a relationship so he can get back at his his ex-girlfriend. What follows, of course, being romantic calamity ensues, I guess is the best way to to talk about it. But, Kim, I mean, you're obviously a big fan of this film. You... um, we're willing to stake our whole friendship on me watching it, so. <laughs> well, it was, you know, our thing was contingent on the fact that you at least enjoyed it mildly. Yeah. To some degree. If you hated it, we weren't going to talk about it, so. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously based on the book by Jenny Han, uh, to all the boys I loved before. I've never read it, but Kim, I believe you're a fan of the trilogy. I am. I really like the books. Um, I think it's one of the books that I've probably gone through the fastest, the, like, the whole trilogy. Um, it was really, really, it's really well written. The situation is pretty good. And, I mean, it's really nice to see that to all the boys I've loved before, at least this movie, uh, really is similar to the book. But it takes out, it takes all the good parts um, and puts it together. And I, at least to me, I feel like it translates very fairly well like because a lot of times when we have adaptations or whatever uh, it tends to kind of get really convoluted and maybe disjointed and because they try to take too much from from the book or or yeah, sometimes it, it it turns out to be worse but i feel like they when they approach this one it's more it's more direct um yeah so yeah the Film obviously stars uh, Lana Condor as uh, Lara Jean, um, who lives in a um, you know a quiet life in the in the suburb. She's got an older sister who's obviously going off to college in Scotland, because I guess that's exotic to American readers. I don't know why anyone would want to go to Scotland, but you know that's beside the point in this story. Um, and uh, the fact is, her mother died at a young age, so she's being raised by her father, uh, along with her younger sister Kitty, 
who is just delightful in this film, and we will talk <laughs> about her a bit later. Um, but yeah, she basically ends up. She always had a crush on her friend Josh, who instead went off with her sister. But you know, she put their feelings aside for that, and her other big crush was uh, the lacrosse player Peter, who um, she ends up forming this sort of fake relationship uh, with because he's looking to get back at his uh, ex-girlfriend and her former best friends until you know life made things complicated and the uh, the pair fell out. But the concept here, I mean, obviously, when we look at Lara Jean, I mean, she's a hopeless romantic. She likes reading uh, sort of Mills and Boone romance novels, uh, the kind, you know, featuring bodice ripping and windswept moors um, that old ladies used to buy in Borders, which was just fantastic to see. And the sort of business you appreciate when you're in the book trade because they're not going on Amazon to buy it, so... But, uh, yeah, I mean, let's just I mean, to start, obviously, with the character Laura Jean. I mean, how do you find her? I mean, I've, I find she's really great, especially for sort of, like, the hopeless romantic character. Normally can verge on the sort of, like, uh, delusional, but she seems to be pretty grounded. Yeah, I mean, Laura Jean is, you can you know, she has all of the teenage kind of first-time romance, that kind of awkwardness that she has... She's not carried away by this fake relationship, really. I mean, she she is very, like, I guess very clueless in many things. And she freaks out and, you know, like, when she wants to escape from Josh uh, after she sees that the letters have got at, gotten out, she literally jumps out of her jumps out of her window to escape him. And you have these little moments which makes her so fun because... A lot of times is what is is that she's built this wall that protects her because she's scared to let people into her life because she's scared of losing people, and that is the that is pretty much the foundation of her as a character. So, in reality, when you when the story goes, it's it's somewhat more than just a romance because because Lara Jean is embodied by the relationship, the tight relationship she has with her family and her sisters. Um, she's embodied by this, you know, this uh, f friendship that fell out. And then she's embodied by, you know, these loves that she's scared to express, but she can only write in letters. And this all creates this character. And she is very grounded because she, you know, she, when you don't, I mean, it, it is, it makes sense because when you're not willing to let it all out kind of thing, like, you will create these things that will stop you from experiencing, I guess, the full <laughs> experience of it, right? Uh, of being in love, uh, even if it's in a fake relationship. Yeah, she has this sort of very fantastical view of what being in a relationship is. I mean, that's just based mainly on 16 she's... candles. <laughs> yeah, it's based on 16 candles and devouring romance novels, um, which, despite her friends obviously saying, Why are you into those? I mean, they're cheesy as, as anything, but she's like, No, I really love these these novels with like Fabio on the cover and whatnot. It's yeah, like... but you know, I, I think, I think for one of the reasons why I really like the character of Lara Jean is that I can relate to her in certain ways. I didn't read like bodice ripping novels or anything, but <laughs> I was reading Nicholas Sparks when I was in high school. So, <laughs> which is very similar to what this is. Um, but at the same time, you have that whole hopeless romantic and that sort of thing is it's, 
it, I mean, the Asian angle and all that, for me, it's very close to how I feel uh, you know, my life was when I was a teenager. Like, you don't, you don't have a boyfriend, but you're going to fantasize about how you would expect a boyfriend to be, right? Um, and it's not like, it's not like, you know, Peter Kavinsky is a horrible person either, right? Uh, he, <laughs> so it's a different type of jock when we look at the character that, she, you know, Peter is the character that she ends up dating, uh, in this fake yeah. relationship. And as she learns more about Peter, they, you know, they form this bond where they're both people who are hurt. They're both people who have lost, um, you know, family, lost, whatever, uh, so yeah I mean obviously um, when we look at Laura Jean, I mean she's been raised by her father um, <laughs> who um, oh, I love hasn't got a first name he's just Dr. Covey but he is played by After Hours Hall of Famer John Covet <laughs> who let's not forget we saw recently in um, uh, 47, 47 meters, meters down yeah. 2 uncaged mm-hmm. um, so you know good for him getting those those father checks in <laughs> uh but yeah he plays he, he's a he's a gynecologist and um basically doing the best he can to raise his three daughters even trying to keep in touch with the family traditions um i mean was she was she korean 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 yes. i think it's played more in the the sequel i want to say so but yeah, he um, even tries to write replicate, uh, you know, Korean recipes, and they, even though the, the girls know that his cooking is pretty awful, uh, <laughs> they, they've got this whole system where you just basically take bites and go, mmm, <laughs> as um, as we see in the uh, the opening. But yeah, I mean, as you were saying about Peter, I mean, he's not your traditional jockey sort of character. I Me, mean, yes, he plays lacrosse, uh, but at the same time, he's got a good nature to him. Uh, which I suppose is something uh, going for him. And it's actually one of the few times I've actually rooted for the jock character, especially when we get into the sequel and uh, we see who he's up against as the uh, as the love rival. But we'll talk a little more about the sequel later. Yeah, I mean, Noah Centineo really, really broke up with the, broke out with this sort of, this, this role as Peter Kavinsky. And I mean, he's been named, I think, the internet's boyfriend or something because of this movie and you can see why because there is a lot of really charming elements about this character he's he's also a little clueless he still goes around you know being uh you know i guess trailed along by his ex-girlfriend in the beginning and you can see his character gradually change as he opens up a little bit more about himself and him and lara jean kind of form this bond but uh, obviously, you know, the two of them are, they're at different stages of romance, you know. Peter's a little bit more experienced, I guess, uh, in the sense that he's had one relationship instead of Lara Jean's zero. Uh, and uh, it, it's just, they have a really comfortable vibe between them. And I, that's what I really like in movies like this. I mean, whenever you look at things like, like this, even when you're reading the novel these two characters come together very naturally, even if it's a very unnatural way that they establish this connection. Uh, a lot of it goes back to just Lara Jean being able to build, I guess, a lot of confidence from, I guess, from this person and being able to interact with a guy without having those boundaries. And it all dials down to the fact that he doesn't, she doesn't, 
she doesn't think that he she's not scared of this really this relationship in you know quotations because like she she in a conversation that she had with him because it's fake hmm. and this kind of like lives out a bit of her her fantasy that she can do all this but then she's also very clear of what's going on so when she's get letting him do things like swing her around with her with his hand in her pocket or whatever that sort of stuff it it's very romantic to watch, but at the same time, they're very in in that moment that you know right after. She's like, okay, well, you know, uh, I never knew that this stuff would happen, but, you know, this is what my life has become. And all those little monologues, I find, really give this movie that extra charming moments of really how she lives in her head a lot. Yeah, it's tough to say that Noah Centur- um, Centineo, um, in terms of, like, the boyfriend material he's about as threatening as the um evan dando record it's all like i love you we're not really he 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 it's all very sweet and safe there's no there's never any sort of like danger of anything getting out of hand with him which i've was i kind of appreciate he's never sort of like um pulls the usual jock move where he has a temper tantrum about something or forces her into an uncomfortable situation although she does make him watch 16 candles which i mean is a its own form of sadism so and i wasn't sure that was included just so that they fact that they can comment on about how horribly racist that movie is so i think it is i think it is it's more of the the point of of how you know these girls are asian obviously and then they're really in love with this movie who obviously portrays the asian character in a super racist way but then it's also when you're at that age, I think it really shows that you're at this age of appreciating something for one element. And in that case, they they make a really good point. It's Jake Ryan. And, you know, Jake Ryan is that sort of guy who's just kind of in the background and she's living it. I guess in some ways you can think that Lara Jean's life at that moment is very similar to Sixteen Candles because she lives in this world that uh, that, you know, whoever she likes is is in the distance, which is similar to how 16 Candles play, where Jake Ryan is in the distance of uh, uh, whatever uh, the character's name is. I forgot her name already. Uh, but Yeah, Molly Ringwald's character. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mo- Molly Ringwald's character. Um, so in, in reality, it actually pulls a lot of... Uh, parallels if people have seen it but that's i think that's just honestly an easter egg i think the point of it is why they it's setting out that point that even though they're very they obviously know what's wrong with the movie they like it because of the boy and that's very you know a lot i i have no problem with that because that is a very you know teenage girl when you're when you, you you start seeing these boys and this um this perfect type of boyfriend type of character that you want and that's what you watch it for. I'm not. A, I'm not a John Hughes fan at all. I didn't grow up with John Hughes movies, so when I, I this thing, I try. I can try to watch him now, and I just really don't get the appeal. And or they just like clash with my own politics, like with the case of Breakfast Club. So um, I do not have the same nostalgia everyone else has for John Hughes movies, to, to say the least. So um, I'll take your word for it on there. But <laughs> it's. Um, I mean, one thing that did really sort of surprise me is the fact that we got um, this character, Josh, who's always in the background, but he's never set up as, like, the rival for Peter, which I was expecting. 
because obviously he's just he just always remains like you know the best friend character um which I thought was kind of kind of interesting because I thought that obviously with him getting his letter as well and finding out how you know Lara Jean has felt about him all these years that he's been dating her sister um and I have to say I totally felt that that sequence at the start where it's sort of like she's there fed wheeling on dates and stuff it's all like yeah I totally feel you Lara <laughs> I've been there you know hoping someone brings someone for you to talk to <laughs> you know male female mineral vegetable doesn't matter just something for you to have an interaction with so while your friends are busy sucking face and whatnot so um but yeah it's as i say it was really interesting i, I was surprised that nothing really got played up there but at the same time i was kind of glad because it meant that we could obviously see you know Lara jane having these sort of like finally having a relationship even though it starts off as a fake relationship and you find these people who are actually while they're pulling this sort of like easy A style ruse of uh, being being completely into each other that they soon discover, you know, that we do actually have feelings for each other. Spoiler alert. Yeah, um, but I think I think another thing that also like when you're talking about what's kind of a relief relieving change that we've we've been talking about a lot in the past obviously teen movies that we've been watching is how fallout of your best friend is what's causing uh, this person to break out of their shell. Whereas this one, it's not because so much of her falling out with anybody, but it's more of just a situation that propels her into accepting another situation that makes her break out of her, you know, her own comfort, comfort zone. And I kind of like that because, you know, obviously I can't imagine this movie because I honestly think all the characters are done really, really well. And in this case, I mean, you have her best friend, which... Christine is uh, played by Madeline Arthur, who is this kind of uh, EDM-loving, kind of badass kind of girl. She has her little attitude. Um, she doesn't like to be in, involved in school functions and that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, she's the um, the free spirit, which is yeah, is awesome. And it reminded me a lot of the a similar character in uh, Booksmart. Which is what I immediately wanted to pair this film to when soon as I saw her character. And yeah, much like Kitty, I couldn't. I really enjoyed every every yeah. time she was on the screen. She always had something to say, and I think it's fun the fact she plays up against her own cousin. <laughs> um, there's no family loyalty in that family for sure. It's sort of like um, she's she rather support Laura Jean than her own cousin. So <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, another, you know, obviously, uh, if we talk about the Song Sisters, even, um, that's really played really well. I mean, obviously, the older sister, Margot, is is not as apparent because she's flown to Scotland and we just see her for little bits here and there. But, um, I mean, Janelle Parrish is, is a great actress. Um, I, I, I've liked her since Pretty Little Liars, and I'm pretty happy to see her do something <laughs> outside of this uh, Pretty Little Liars So she situation. was. She was. She's the. She was. I didn't place that until I just looked she, it up on crazy, Wikipedia. She's a crazy girl. She's a crazy smart girl who wants to be popular. Yes. No. I, I forgot it's her all name. Back. It's all coming yeah. back to me now because yes. Um. Yeah. It's all coming back to me now. I just. Whenever I, I took, kind of blotted Pretty Little Lies out of my head after how stupid that last season got. <laughs> it was so stupid. 
<laughs> yeah, but we're not talking about Pretty Little Liars. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the sister relationship is one of the things I really also like about the movie, um, especially because, you know, obviously you have these three sisters who are very different characters in their own. And uh, Kitty is just a charming, so charming uh, because she she's so fun. Everything she has, is, she says, is so quirky and so cute. And you just can't help but, like, it's these little moments, these characters like Kitty and Christine, um, that kind of bring this humor into it, right? Even Dad, right? Dr. Covey has this this kind of dad jokes type of thing. Um, and it all plays out to kind of give this romantic vibe that they're having um, a nice little feel-good comedy moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously you said already about John Corbett being on full dad mode here, but it's kind of what I needed from his character. I just need him to be like <laughs> the parental presence in the background here. I, all the other characters handle everything else in her life, but you need that sort of like parental rock sort of character in the background there. And I think that's what he provides. He also has that really great scene where, um, um, is it Emily? Who's, um, questioning about why he became a gynecologist. Oh, Christine. Yeah, Christine, Christine. <laughs> and it's sort of like, why did you? Do you think just like wake up? It's like I just really want to look at women's vaginas all day. So, <laughs> and he's like, "Yes, Christine, <laughs> it's so nice to see you again." <laughs> I'm leaving the room now. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, we obviously can keep going back and forth to uh, Laura and Peter's relationship, but I think just the evolution of them. The fact it's not just like there's never sort of like any sort of real peril for her, and he he's always like plays his cards very sort of straight. It's never sort of like he's pulling some sort of ruse on her, which was kind of unique. Uh, much less the fact that he leaps to her defense when um, the makeout in the hot tub, which is so overblown in this film, it's made more. It's made as uh, it's like when you read like point horror novels or like Babysitter Club and. Um, characters have a have a makeout session it's like the most scandalous thing because <laughs> that's uh that's about all the sex that, that uh, kids who read those books can handle so <laughs> but no it's so awkward that that uh whole t- scene where she's making out in the hot tub where she's basically wearing like the most layers possible so she's essentially wearing like a wetsuit and um he's of course in his states when dressed because that's you know what the audience this movie wants to see clearly <laughs> well, she's in her nightgown, so it's not that bad. But I know, but it's but I mean, of like, but really... I mean, like, it's. I guess I mean, if you think about it, I haven't gone to any of these like school ski trips. I've never gotten like, I've never gone there, so I yeah. don't know about how these things usually go down. Um, not like that, I mean, I'm guessing. But I mean, it's just. But I mean, for them, I guess it's a it, it's a big deal, and there's kind of a little spite going on. The video probably like it's just you know school school gossip right that's what that's what the the movie's about is in in some ways it's just propelling them into this phase of how peter is i guess she blames him in a certain way for just how this went down and and she's angry and there's i mean that's kind of the turning point for their relationship when they start facing up to this this situation which kind of breaks them apart because for the most part, the only thing that's been in the way is that their relationship is fake. 
and then they made it real and then the moment it turns real she realizes that he's not he doesn't really i guess respect her right uh which which you know my only complaint okay my only complaint that bothers me the most about this movie is that she her favorite scrunchie was lost in the beginning in like the first Mm. party that she went to yeah. And she only realized it at the ski trip, which was like three months after. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a little odd. But Maybe he you know. thought um, he was keeping it for his own personal use. <laughs> but that's really like picking, picking at like little things. I mean, for me, the movie is really, a lot of it is really charming. Um, I mean, it lives up to the novel a lot. And that's one thing that I really liked about the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> I have to say though, the fact that Jen's um, reasons for falling out with um, with Lara are so stupid. It is, but at the same time, it's, I it's mean, is this like a teenage girl thing? Where this yeah. is like this makes like this is perfectly justifiable. I don't. I don't know if it's justifiable. I haven't. I haven't been in these situations, but I mean, okay. but I really think that. For her, it's it's something that she fell out with Lara Jean because of the game that, you know, the truth or spin the bottle or whatever yes, that they were the playing. And at that point in her life, it meant to, it was a big deal. What because she was best friends. And I think that we get an idea of how they how good of friends they are when we get into the second movie, where the second movie really layers in all these relationships with a little bit more depth. So we know about this friendship that Lara Jean and Jen had. You know about the people they were with when they were younger. And then you know about, you know, a little bit deeper on this other thing. Because now that we've moved past this first movie, in many ways I see the first movie as more of a coming of age for Lara Jean instead of instead of a romance type of thing. But this romance makes her get in touch with that coming of age portion of herself. Like Peter kind of pulls her out and she she starts realizing these things about herself that, you know, she shouldn't live in her head and, you know, she should embrace these things and the the, the issues that she needs to face, like her mom, her mom not being there anymore and that, that sort of stuff, right? But when we get to the second movie, all of these things that we weren't so clear on suddenly kind of get pulls back with a little bit more depth to it so that it kind of, I don't know, it, it kind of works a little bit better. Mm. I mean, I was surprised. I I thought the this first film was very enjoyable, yeah. Um, which was was uh, good. I mean, yes, it's it's very sort of throwaway, um, sort of entertainment. It's not particularly <laughs> particularly deep on any any. You're level, talking to but... <laughs> you're talking to me who's seen it like thirty times. Yeah, I know point. you've seen it thirty times. I'm not sure I would I would sit down and watch this thirty times. But um, as I said, at the same time, it's not. The worst, uh, the worst thing that we've watched ever on the show. I think that's a, a an honor bestowed upon the reef at this point. Is probably our the worst thing we've watched on this show. But I'm sure that we can tunnel a lot deeper with that one. So, but yeah, I was as I said, I was very surprised in it uh, how how into the actual sort of story and everything else that I was uh, was drawn into this one. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a very it was an enjoyable watch. Um, 
the sort of thing you would throw on on like a Sunday afternoon or something if you're just looking for something to have on in the background maybe and stuff but it did actually inspire me to like want to see where the story goes next which obviously is continued in uh, to other boys uh, PS I love you or PS I still love you should I say sorry but um, yeah, I mean, this again is uh, based on uh, the second book by Jenny Han, and um, this basically picks up the story almost directly after the end of the the first first film, because Lara and uh, Peter are still dating, and she's so hopelessly in love that she dances around her room to uh, "And Then He Kissed Me" and in this wonderful little musical sort of sequence. <laughs> um, which is all very nice and uh, delightful, but if you watched uh, the 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 secret um, the bonus ending of the first film, uh, you will know that her one of her other letters, which uh, she gave to J- John Ambrose McLaren, um, he turned up at the end of the last film to basically announce he's also in love with her as well. So. But note is the person the the the, the one that that delivers the, the the delivers the letter in the first bonus scene is not the same person as in the, in the movie in the sequel. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the this one though, he's been replaced by Jordan Fisher. So not only has he had a character change, but he's also had an ethnicity change, and it's all for the worst, really, because John Ambrose was a perfect counter to peter because peter's obviously like the lacrosse playing jock um who i have to say that i have to say it just really surprised me that with uh lara jean the fact that she does that uh really cliche thing of uh, when she goes to talk to him and just walking in the middle of the lacrosse pitch <laughs> i don't know what it is in these films where you always have someone just walk in the middle of like a sports game and stuff and they don't like get clobbered by a ball or something so or like the teachers never there to get them to get their ass off the pitch, which is what <laughs> would happen in real life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was obviously set up. You've got, you know, John Ambrose, who's got like more sort of like the brains and he's going up against the bronze of Peter. I mean, that's a real sort of interesting grudge match there. I mean, we pit, uh, you know, bronze against brains. It's like, which one does she go with? But no... The makers of the film decide to recast him. So we end up with the... Uh, the human wallpaper that is uh, Jordan Fisher. I don't know. I, I, actually who... like, I actually like Jordan Fisher. Oh my god. I, I do think he's fairly... He is fucking atrocious. I don't know. He... I mean... <laughs> he, his only one move is to bear track grin through this film like a motherfucker who's so saturating sweet I just almost like threw up on my mouth just like seeing him bullshit his way through this fucking movie oh my god I was so annoyed with this character like like beyond anything else but no please do carry on Kim that's um that's some deep hatred I don't know I don't I don't have that much defense for him but I <laughs> for me everything is no, but everything is it for me. Watching any movie like this is a feeling for me. Jordan Fisher and the chemistry that he had with um, with Lana Condor, I just thought was there. Every moment was created. It was really, really well done. Um, I can't say I can't defend the second movie a lot because I think that I enjoy it for what it is. But at the same time, I also didn't in like it was my least favorite book of the trilogy. So I already knew that this. The movie itself is good because it actually cuts out some of the 
many tangents that it goes on in the actual book. So it kind of like has a slimming effect, <laughs> which works to its favor for the movie. Um, but I mean, in reality, it, it, it plays on so many things that nothing, you know, we, we learn a lot of little bits and pieces about every person, but we don't really get a whole lot of, um, I think one of the things that really bothers me is that they did have, I mean, probably to your happiness, <laughs> is that <laughs> Jordan Fisher's character, like John Ambrose is supposed to have this really amazing scene in the book, um, that ends the, the book itself. And I think that they took it out and then they replaced it with this ball. And it seems to, I'm not sure if that was in the book. Maybe it was. And then, uh, and, and, and it just kind of switches things around a little. Because um, that scene when I was reading it was like really, really magical, I guess. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a problem with John Ambrose's character. I think that he, he does fine. I mean, I've, I've watched Jordan Fisher in a few other things. Um, the the Grease live whatever he's pretty good in that one um I mean he's good in the singing stuff dancing stuff that sort of thing I mean I just watched Work It where he's in it didn't know he was in it though the movie isn't too great but he's not bad um yeah he's but... phenomenal when he's not on the screen <laughs> it's okay, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna defend because it's it, there's nothing to defend about you know it, it's in reality, any character like this or any actor is really just a feeling to me. And for me, Jordan Fisher is all right. I don't have an issue with him. But I mean, I totally respect that you think he's a, he's not great. Like he's for me, jackass. I prefer Noah Centineo a whole lot more. Um, and and that's one of the reasons why I kind of I kind of yeah. obviously the movie plays it really well because he played Peter Kavinsky is such a charming character even when he's even when you know he they keep trying to pull this gen move where she he keeps going back to his ex-girlfriend or something and they keep playing on that i actually think this movie didn't play as much on it as it was supposed to it's oh, yeah. more now it's more it was more in lara jean's head that the stuff is going on than the actual situation being where she keeps showing up and it's like her and peter thing so i mean cuz that's a different tone from the novel's approach yeah, I mean, the whole of the first film was all about, you know, obviously Lara and Peter getting together. Yeah. And it's great. So they're finally together. And then we have this film, which spends, much like the first Sex and the City movie, spends all its time trying to break them up by just piling, like, obstacle against obstacle against obstacle. I mean, this man has to climb a freaking mountain to, make to like, keep his own girlfriend. Um, at the same time, Laura goes to work in a retirement home where she meets an eccentric old lady called Stormy, who her sister often talked about working with. And uh, it's here as well that she, of course, discovers that John Ambrose is working there. Yay. Um, and, of course, the, the two carry on the little relationship there and all the time that... Um, Pete, everything Peter does is just wrong in this movie. We're just going to get this off the bat because he doesn't... Um, Vantage rolls around and Laura Jean expects this big, you know, romantic gesture from him because he did all these things for um, his his ex girlfriend Jen. Like he sent her like a cappella groups in every period, and and instead he gives her this uh, silver necklace which has got two verses of a Edgar Allan poem um, 
sorry, Edgar Allan Poe poem, um, Annabelle Lee, but obviously changing uh, Annabelle Lee to Lara Jean's name. And he, she thinks, of course, it's like, you know, this original piece of poetry that he's written, and he obviously doesn't tell her, which is probably to his detriment, but never mind. And it just seems, as I said, at the same time he's being like constantly seen as like trying to get back with Jen, and everyone, this is all these characters were supposed to like, like John Ambrose and Stormy. You just sort of end up resenting because you're just like you're just being a dick to this guy for no apparent reason. It's just to provide unnecessary, you know, just conflict where there doesn't need to be conflict. Um, and like the Taj Mahal of this sort of nonsense really comes at the end of this ball sequence where they're like forcing, um, you know, Lara and, uh, and John Ambrose to dance together. It's all like, oh yeah, she must dance. She must dance together. And of course they've both been given like, he's got his white suit and she's been given the dress, which of course fits her perfectly. And, oh, it just, just speeds to be like this constant piling of just irritation, um, as he just like guns his way through every bloody scene, <laughs> and uh, hatred. It's it's so hard. <laughs> I actually like... actually watched it the second time, and and I didn't hate it as much as I like. I didn't dislike it as much as the first time. It's so... the one time you wanted the jock character to beat the living snot out of the nerdy guy. It's like Peter just kick his ass already. <laughs> But so. the thing is, they—the thing is that it's not an obvious love triangle. No one's trying to steal anyone. No one's trying to do like that sort really? of thing. It's. But the thing is, this Jennifer is the Clinton story is. is always about Lara Jean. It's always about what's going on in her head. Everything yep. is going on in her head. She's, she's, you know, now that she's got the guy, she's starting to worry about losing the guy because he's this popular dude. And Great. in comes my theory about how you know normal girls don't date hot guys. Or at least their husband will not be a hot guy in the end. You can date them, but you're not going to marry them. <laughs> but you know, that's my that's that's I know, my. I'm view. just trying to. I'm just trying to just taking all that that on here and and stuff. So, so <laughs> you you're going to decide if you're going to be a a reacher or a settler. <laughs> Is, that, is so, that what you're trying to say here? I mean, obviously, uh, it's no, no, that's not that's not it. It's not it's not what I'm saying. It's just I'm just saying that you don't usually because there the fact is it's it's hard to for Lara Jean's character where it comes in as a a like she's unconfident because she's she doesn't have she's not popular right. She's not in that same circle that same kind of frame as as Peter Kavinsky is in. Whereas Peter Kavinsky is this outgoing character. A lot of girls like him. Um, yeah. He gets like a avalanche of love letters that fall out of his locker when he opens it on Valentine's Day, even though they know he has a girlfriend. And this is the type of character that, you know, she's, she, you know, she's committed to, right? And and that's why, you know, like when, when we come to the characters of uh, Christine and Lucas... They're the ones who tell them, well, you know, like, this is the situation that you're in. That You've chosen this dude. You, you just got to stand up for it, right? And for her, it's hard because she's living in her mind that she's not good enough or, or whatever. I don't know what it is. Like, she feels like it's so hard to be in this world. But, you know, like, just to go along with the things that he does with, you know, these silly 
jock boys um, type of type of activities, you know. <laughs> so you have this sort of situation where they're they're different people trying to be together, and all they have is really the other things that are similar. But she's starting to fall into kind of like a self doubt situation, and and I think I mean. For me, I kind of thought it was it was a good angle to take to keep it as a self doubt um, and, and not place so much on this love triangle because the love triangle is more of kind of everyone starting to feel a bit threatened by everyone else, and then things kind of play on that. But you know, Lara Jean makes bad decisions on that part, um, and then you know Peter makes some bad decisions and that sort of stuff, but. Uh, I mean, th there's there's a lot of flaws with the second movie. Um, that, you know, the first movie, like I said, keeps it so straightforward with what the story is trying to tell. That the second movie, it's not about so much, you know, the, I think the filming and how everything is set up is really good. But the story itself, um, while I think is a little bit more tight-knit than the novel itself, um, I think when I reviewed it, I said that, that some of the things that the novel could you could lose was some of the faults of the novel was fixed in the movie but then the movie had faults that were fixed in the novel so it it lacked in that department of what they cut and what they kept and how these characters are designed and and that sort of thing that kind of built up what the story was supposed to be on the downside um characters such as emily and kitty are pushed to the background more in this one which was kind of a shame especially in terms of kitty because kitty was so good in the first one it was seemed <laughs> a little shame that the fact that they she was pretty much non-existent here uh we also get to meet the uh girl's cousin haven uh here played by julie Tao, who is probably one of the greatest characters in this whole film um mainly because she's just constantly on her phone and is just sarcastic as all hell so i really <laughs> liked her <laughs> um we also the um while well, her father doesn't get a first name he does get a girlfriend of sorts with the attractive neighbor uh played by Soraya blue uh which is he's kind of nice it's nice to see her dad you know meeting someone new because it's been a while since his, his wife passed on so mm. um although it did make me amuse me the fact that they they decide to because her mother had this tradition where rather than having Thanksgiving and Christmas at the end of the year that uh, she had like a created, I knew it was like a second Thanksgiving or she just moved Thanksgiving forward to uh, March, but yeah, it's a fake giving, which is, which is really, which is very funny because it, which is like such a coincidence for us because we're, re we're, we're recording this on us Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Day after, uh, day after the U S Turkey day. So, um, Enjoy your food, comers there, America. Um, we um we we obviously don't have anything to really be thanks for here in the UK, so we just we just have our our one day of turkey. So it also amuses me as well in the scene that Lara Jean, who's supposed to be this really intelligent student, decides that she's going to carry enough sprouts for five people in her hands, <laughs> not like a bag or anything. I'm just going to manhandle the sprouts. Which just made me laugh more than it probably should have. So, <laughs> a problematic sequel to say the least. I mean, we obviously can see the is in many ways it's obviously marks the next evolution with these characters because you're obviously getting older. I mean, they dig up the time capsule, which gives them that sort of like senior year sort of feel to the story, and they're obviously looking back at uh, you know 
the people that they used to be. Um, but yeah, ah, oh, just it has it it has those glaring issues which make me really uh, made it hard to get into this one to say the least. So. Mm. Um, I think every time you have some jackass twinkling away on the piano trying to act charming, it's just like, oh, just fuck off. It's okay. You know what? The biggest fault of this movie for you was Jordan Fisher. If they had recasted him, you would have been, you would have enjoyed this movie. If they kept the original guy, huh? If they kept the original guy, I probably would have enjoyed this movie a lot more. You know, (laughs) because I would have bought the guy doing all this stuff at the retirement home. Uh, when it's Jordan Fisher, it just feels like some creepy attempt to pick up uh, Lara Jean, despite the fact she has a boyfriend, and he can't take a hint. Is what it feels like. But because yeah, but, you know, I mean, because he he's like John Ambrose, and, but John uh, Ambrose's character doesn't know that she's in a relationship, and she does hide the fact. So Lara Jean, like I said, she has her faults in how she handles the situation. Mm. Not the, I'm not going to defend like Jordan. It's impossible to defend someone that you hate, so I'm not going to defend it. <laughs> <It's not> just... <laughs> That's why it's why I don't discuss movies that you don't like because then you got this strong, strong feeling and I can't. I know. I just said it's just this one aspect to this this uh, thing. I mean, as I said, if we were we were hanging out and it's all like, oh yeah, we're going to watch uh, to all the boys out to all the boys, and I'd be like, you know what? Yes, we will watch that. <laughs> and um, and you know that will be wouldn't be a wasted evening. Um, it's just unfortunate. It's just this one horrible miscasting i don't still don't understand why the hell they mis- recast him i mean this is is he got more marketability than the previous yes. actor yes so this jordan is jordan fisher is... jordan fisher despite your dislike actually i think turned into like netflix uh, netflix is like a internet's husband or something like that at that point i don't remember what it was, the title was he got another title after this movie came out and that's one of the reasons. I mean, he's been making a lot more movies. Um, I think on Netflix he has a, has a few movies, maybe. I don't know. Um, Jordan Fisher is very marketable, actually. Yeah. I mean, Jordan there, Fisher. I mean, I, yeah. Star of such hit movies as Team Beach Movie and Team Beach 2. Um, <laughs> and that horrible, misguided Grease Life. Oh, and he was also in Rent Life, which was atrocious as well, so... Uh, let's see what else. Well, he wasn't until Dawn. <laughs> Uh, he also commented the 2019 Fortnite World Cup. Ooh. Either way, I mean, we're not we're not gonna discuss Jordan Fisher till the next day. But I mean, Dila is, uh, you know, the second movie was not quite as good as the first one. Uh, a lot of shortcomings. It kind of fell back. You know what it was? That was a problem. Was that P.S. I Still Love You actually took a lot more of that romantic angle. I think it. It drove a lot into like kind of it fell a bit more into the more familiar type of teen romance story, and then that kind of took away some of the uniqueness it had from the initial idea of you know sending out love letters and then this mess that she gets and gets herself into this fake relationship. All the quirkiness turns into something I guess a lot more serious. We lose a bit of the quirk from the first one, and then the second one comes in and it's more dramatic, I guess. Yep. Um, this is worth noting. He plays six instruments. Piano, guitar, bass, harmonica, which isn't an instrument, drums, and the French horn, which I'm sure is a real panty dropper. Um, <laughs> it's so hard just to, like, just, oh my god, it's just, I've never seen, it's just, 
Are, Here we, are have we, gonna, pro, we have a classic you, you example. You have to stop. You have to stop. This is, you have to stop. This is Jordan Fisher is done. We're done with him. We're, so, we're not going back. We're, we are. I'm making a mental note. We are never going to watch another <laughs> Jordan Fisher movie ever. Okay? It shouldn't be hard because Jordan Fisher doesn't. He doesn't normally stumble into uh, the crosshairs of my movie watching. But unfortunately, as I said, I mean it's it's not often the fact that you can pin the failings of a thing a, a film on just one person's performance um which is quite unusual in this situation i mean i'm interested obviously to see where the third film goes i mean you obviously read the book kim so you're ahead of me and unlike the previous film we don't have that sort of like post-credit sequence i was sort of waiting for where like i don't know like one of the other boys because i think there's one other letter that's still floating around um, no there's no there's no more letters no? floating around okay no um all the letters, one was returned in the first one, one was returned because it was mailed to some camp bunks, and then uh, and then there was John Ambrose, there was Peter Kavinsky, Lucas yep. is gay, so... Yes, he was. Yes. Which and I then, thought was um, an interesting twist, so... And then the last one was Josh, and Josh is, uh, Josh kind of just fell out in this movie. He didn't appear at all. <laughs> That's what was missing. Yeah. I was, no, Josh, I was... Josh, Josh was supposed to have a storyline in this one. Um, he was supposed to have a storyline where... Uh, he would be dating this new girl and then uh, Margot would come back and um, they would kind of have this kind of facing each other type of thing. If I remember correctly, I think that was the that was the plot in the novel. Josh didn't like vanish from the earth. He he's still the neighbor. He still goes to school. He's still, you know, he just had he's just met someone else kind of thing. Which I mean, is understandable. I mean, obviously, is because. Um, his girlfriend split up with him before she went off to college so he's a free agent he can do what he wants yeah pretty much because this one they had to take out Josh and put in Trevor so so that Christine would have a love interest okay no <laughs> I don't I just I remember Josh oh yes I remember Josh because he's um, from um, 30 Reasons Why Yes, now it's all coming back to me because I've I've made a note to talk about um, about him because it was sort of like his his inclusion just like he just basically comes out of nowhere um, into this this story. Yet he's we're informed that he's important. Oh, it's Trevor, right? You mean Trevor? Trevor, sorry. Yeah. Just, I'm just, yeah. I'm well, I don't. I don't. I mean, he's uh he's Reggie in Riverdale. I've seen I've seen the beginning of that part where he's in River, Riverdale. So I, um, yeah, he's um, yeah, he's Zach, uh, Zach Dempsey in Thirty Reasons Why, um, which is a movie I haven't gotten to, and I feel like if I, I don't know, my your hatred of Jordan Fisher is how I feel about Thirteen Reasons Why. So Thirteen Reasons Why was the first season was fantastic. I mean, it's interesting because we were watching my wife, and anything where we watch like two episodes back to back is a box it binge in my household. Because, you know, we've got family family and stuff, so you don't get to sit and watch, like, a whole series in one go. So, 13 Reasons Why was in, was, the first season was, oh, just gripping from start to front. Although Netflix, I believe, have cut the the guts out of it by um, editing out a very crucial scene in that one. And the second season was very, um, was it was pretty good, but the third season, not so much, but. Um, I think, as I said, 13 Reasons Why, if they left it alone and stopped listening to the council culture out there who just 
demand cuts and got offended at shocking but very real moments in that series it would have been this it would have been a really um sort of standout series that i think we would be talking about more but um yeah he's um he's very good and it's um he's essentially just doing what he does so he, i haven't really seen him branch out from playing this sort of role he's you know the the tall asian jock guy <laughs> so you know well, good for him for countering for uh cornering a market <laughs> well he's still young i mean most of these actors and yeah, these things are still young i mean you don't know what's going to happen when they're going to get some kind of breakout role in some movie that's going to give them you know a change because eventually all these people all these big stars that we're seeing in these blockbusters and stuff and and oscar bait movies and whatever is gonna have to you know start yeah. playing father roles and other roles well, <laughs> backing yeah. down you know he was in Yes, because I mean, you, yeah, as you said before, I mean, he did like Easy Riverdale, which I, I watched like two episodes of. I couldn't get into that show. Uh, he was in Team Wolf, which I never watched. He's currently in Swimming with Sharks, which I assume is the um, Benicio del Toro movie. They've done a TV adaptation, um, and he was also in Team Beach too. So good for him. Um. And he's in a bunch of music videos as well. So, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's wrap this up. Overall thoughts on. <laughs> I was just going to ask you what your feelings too. of Russ Butler was, but no, that's fine. We'll wrap this up. <laughs> now, please, you do you carry on, Lincoln? Huh? No, no. You, 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 you go. I just wondered what your thoughts on on Russ Butler was <laughs> with uh, what he's sort of rating because we've obviously talked about how other main leads are. Netflix's husband and whatnot, so I don't know where he sort of rates with with uh, the ladies. I don't know. <laughs> no. I don't know where he ranks. Um, but, I mean, Ross Butler is fine. I mean, I like this character. I like Trevor character. I haven't seen him in really anything else other than Riverdale, mm. and I haven't... I stopped watching Riverdale after season two, so yeah. I don't really remember a lot about it, and that was a few years back, so... Yeah. Um, but- he failed the no, I'm gonna test, I'm so. gonna eventually pick up Riverdale again, um, and then I will let you know. But uh, for now, I mean, I, I like him in here. I think he he's an interesting pair up with Chris. But then I mean, he's really like sub supporting, supporting. You know, like he's you know like third line actor at this point. <laughs> yeah. of, of he doesn't get a lot to do. It's true. Yeah. Um, I think the most incredible bit of acting he does is somehow fitting into that tiny ass treehouse. So. Because <laughs> he's a tall guy. Yeah. But anyway, um, to all the boys, the first film I think is um, it's a great, it's a good movie. I mean, it's, uh, for myself, it, I would, I don't, I would say it's around the, you know, it's a three point five sort of movie for myself. So mm. it's um, enjoyable. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as as you do, Kim. But at the same time, it's not. You know, it's it's an enjoyable experience while it lasts, and it's just a shame the sequel failed to live up to the potential. It just gets caught up in its own mechanics uh, to really sort of um, get the same sort of momentum as the first movie. And certainly, it's not as fun as the first uh, first film. But um, I'll be interested. I'm interested to see where the third one goes. So, well, chances are, by the time this episode is published, the third the third movie will probably be out. <laughs> Um, yes, to all the boys, always and forever, Lara Jean. 
So, I suppose we could always just go read the book or something, I guess. But, <laughs> but um, yes, this brings us to um, another edition of the After Hours. Thank you as always for listening, and thank you to my co-host Kim. Uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us, and maybe leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our full archive episodes at moosandteapodcast.wordpress.com uh, which has got all our previous seasons so when we looked at Paul Doria Sanson and Gilma Del Toro Sofia Coppola Ang Lee and including our most recent season looking at female directors of note um, and um, obviously we've got now coming on to season 7 Kim and uh, who we're going to be looking at as our uh, director of note yeah, we're going with a, a pretty popular name, I would say. Um, and that's Quentin Tarantino. We're obviously starting off with uh, 92's Reservoir Dogs. Yep, Quentin Tarantino, one of my most important directors in life and probably one of the people I've uh, raved on more about other than Godzilla. So it's going to be a very fanboy-heavy season. I'm going to warn in advance, so... I'm 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 glad you are because I'm a little lukewarm. So we're oh, we're really? gonna see how revisiting is gonna feel. Yeah, there's um, yeah, Tarantino touched into a lot of areas, both in fanboyness and uh, just in in you know film appreciation cultures. He uh, covers a lot of bases, so it's gonna be really interesting to obviously discuss him and certainly um, the role he played in the American independence scene of the early nineties. But all that's obviously to come on our next season, so hopefully you can join us for that. Um, But thank you as always for listening, and we will be back next time to kick up of our Quentin Tarantino season, season 7, with Reservoir Dogs. But until then, good night.